Okay, guys, welcome to The Dad Presents. This episode is brought to you by CBDMD.com. Go there and use the code The Dad Presents for 15% off on high quality CBD products that'll help all your pains. I use it, gets rid of all my aches and pains from my 27 million surgeries for my neck, my back, my shoulder, my wrist. Get it, it's good stuff. All right, now let's get into it. All right, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the show. We've got a great guest tonight. We've got Spike Cohen. He's the libertarian candidate for vice president, and we are lucky to have him. Spike, how you doing? I'm doing amazingly, Matt. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, excited about the nomination? Yes, I'm excited about the nomination. I am so yeah, happy that. to be moving forward in the general, and it's, uh, it's been great so far. Yeah, we got to get you guys in, in those debates. That's, that's the next thing. Yeah, we we are. So just to give a little background, because we get asked this a lot and it's understandable. A lot of people don't know how it works, but we'll see. How do we get you in these debates? So the way it works, the way that this rigged commission on presidential debates has things set up uh, in order to get in the in the debates, we have to do get 15 percent or more in uh, five, I believe, five reputable opinion polls uh, and reputable. So meaning like Gallup. Uh, mm-hmm. New York Times, Fox, uh, any of the major opinion polls, scientific, right. ra- randomly selected opinion polls. <laughs> Gary Johnson and Bill Weld got 13% in one and 11% in another. So it is not inconceivable for us to get 15. Uh, right. And in fact, I actually think we have a good chance of getting it. And if we get that, and we can put Joe Jorgensen, an absolutely brilliant, self-made entrepreneur, senior lecturer, someone that can break down complex ideas in a simple, easy to understand and engaging way, relatable way to break down why the two buffoons on either side of her are everything that's wrong with this country and how we'll apply common sense libertarian solutions to fix things. Uh, I think that she's going to knock it out of the park. And I think at that point, it'll be our race to lose. And of course, if you put me between Mike Pence, who's still deciding whether uh, or not the government should electrocute gay people, uh, Mm. and then also, uh, and probably Kamala Harris, uh, who is best known for uh, refusing to release exculpatory evidence during a a capital case, this is a judge ordered her to release evidence that would that would end up uh, exonerating a man that she was trying to put on death row for a crime she right. knew he did not commit right, illegally. Right. Yep, that's it's, who my it, the person will be on my other side. I think yeah, it's amazing to me that that that's the person who is going to rescue Black America, person who's maybe locked up more than any other Black people on America. She's one of the most aggressive living prosecutors. Yeah. And, and, and here, this shows the mindset, the tone deaf mindset with the Republicans as well, but in this case with the Democrats, they're hearing all these calls for, you know, changes in systemic racism, ending uh, police brutality, ending disproportionate use of force against communities of color and poorer communities, uh, which affects all of us, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, Ending these things, ending police brutality, ending civil asset forfeiture, ending the war on drugs. And their answer is, yeah, I got you, fam. We're going to put in a black woman. Oh, also, she's one of the toughest prosecutors on black people in recent memory. But sure. she is a black woman. Right. And that's, this is the... That's the, all they care about is identity. That, that's it's all identity. It's tokenism. It's the mm-hmm. worst kind tokenism. of identity politics. Yep. It is tokenism. It is the VP selecting equivalent of when Nancy Pelosi and her and her and her crew went out and wore the kente cloths Perfect. and kneeled yep. down and did absolutely nothing for anyone other no. than making them. So, I mean, 
when we talk about virtue signaling, and I think that term gets overused, this was pure virtue signaling. Nothing was accomplished. No one was helped. Their intended audience even recognized. I was happy to see the number of people that were like, you did nothing. Right. You dressed no. up like you were going to watch Black Panther 2, and then you went and <laughs> kneeled down on the floor. You did nothing. You didn't end police brutality. You didn't pass a single bit of legislation. You didn't encourage community policing. You just said, oh, yeah, we like blacks too. Be sure to vote for us in November. That's yeah. all they did. It was pretty much universally despised, that move. And yeah, well, they, didn't, they haven't done anything because they don't care. They, they don't care. They don't care. So don't let, me, let, me, let me jump into some questions here. Sure, absolutely. Um, Every election of my lifetime, I'm I'm 47. I've been around. Every You're election, 47. Yeah, yeah. I'm holding up. Fantastic. <laughs> live in California. We hold and up. And I'm not just saying that because I want your vote in November, which I totally do. You Already look. You know, I, if I look as I don't even look as good as you, as, and I'm only 37. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, I'm sorry. True. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, every election of my lifetime, we hear we hear this is this is the most important election <laughs> of our lifetime. We hear it every time, and and it, it, it's you laughed. It's become laughable. Yeah, but this time it feels true, and and it doesn't not necessarily because Donald Trump is the most existential threat to our society. I don't think right. he's any worse than any of them we've had. Frankly, I I think he's about on par. It feels like the most important because I, I feel like we're on the verge of a civil war in this country. Gun sales are at an all-time high. The tensions are at an all-time high. Um, people are, are feeling on edge. I mean, liberal friends who I know who are anti-gun are going out and getting guns because they're scared. So how can the next president begin the healing process in America? Because Trump's not going to do it, and neither is Biden. No. So one thing I want to say, you mentioned Trump. You said he's on par. I think he's worse, but that is on par because it's like every time it's a little bit worse. And this whole rope-a-dope of you can't pick third party because the bad one might win. Meaning right. like, so if you're a Joe Biden supporter, they're saying Donald Trump could win if you, if you vote third party. And if you're, if, you're, if you're more leaning towards Donald Trump, but you, you, don't hate, you don't like him either, people go, you know, don't, Joe Biden could win this. Look at how much worse he is. Right. This is diminishing returns as policy. Every single cycle, they tell you, you have two, garbage options. One of them, depending on which side you lean towards, is a little bit more garbage than the other, mm -hmm. but they both suck and we aren't even going to pretend they don't. Right. But you have to vote for them because if you don't so vote for so this tier. Go so ahead. So why, like they, they will convince you, the duopoly, the, the you know, the two-party system, they'll convince mm -hmm. you that voting third party is, is a wasted vote. Why, yeah. why is it not? Make I would say why it is not. Voting for the people who created the problems that we face and are promising that this time they are totally going to fix it even as they continue to create them is a wasted vote. Voting for either of the parties who have had exclusive control of every lever of power in this country for the better part of 170 years, 165 years or whatever, is a wasted vote. You know, we talk about uh, uh, um, insanity is doing the same thing over, over and over and expecting, the same, expecting different results. Continuing yeah. to vote for the Republicrats and expecting something other than the Republicrats to show up is an absolute waste of your vote and your time and, and not to mention your rights and your, and your treasure and, and, your, and your, your you know, livelihood and everything else. It is an absolute waste. There is only one viable alternative that is going to undo what the Republicans and Democrats have done over the last several decades and, and, and free the markets and free the people so that we can live better lives, remove that boot from the neck of the people so that we can solve the problems that have been created by Republicans and Democrats, and that is the Libertarian Party. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
absolutely. They're, they're the waste of a vote, not the third party. Exactly. And, and if people can get in and accept that message, I think there's enough momentum of people who are fed up with both parties that the third party can, can do some damage. But it, it's out there in the ether that it's a wasted vote. And we got to conquer that message. So going back to the first question, how yeah. do you heal America if you do get in there? Obviously, we have to stop the harm. So a big, a big thing that we talk about in libertarian circles is harm reduction. So in order to solve a problem, if, a pa- if you're a doctor and a patient comes in and they go, dog, I've got this really bad gash. And you notice that they're still getting stabbed. You say, hey, whoa, 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 before I start trying to fix this thing, I think maybe whoever's stabbing you should stop. We have to stop the harm. So we end the wars, we bring the troops home, we let the, the healing begin there. We end the, 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 the veteran suicide epidemic that's happening as a result of bringing back people who went over and came back broken. Even though they didn't come back in a, in a casket draped in a flag, they came back broken. They came back mm-hmm. with traumatic brain injuries. And I'm not saying broken irretrievably. These are people we can help. These are people who can thrive. But we have to stop the harm and we have to help them. So we would focus on that, ending this ridiculous VA program while we're talking about it. And I'll just simply, it would cost less to simply give them the money and let them choose their own healthcare, where they could actually get good healthcare and end this ridiculous, you know, nationalized health system for veterans that serves them so poorly. Uh, yeah. Ending the war on drugs, freeing its victims and removing their felony records so that they, so that they, uh, they can actually move ahead in life. They don't, they're not stuck in one state that they can't leave and they're not told that they can't ever get a good job or they have to now choose between a life of abstinence abject poverty or just going back to prison or doing some other illegal thing. We don't send them into rape cages for years where they learn to become hard just to be able to survive. And then they come out into a world that they, they don't even recognize anymore, broken mm-hmm. in a similar way that the, the people coming back from the wars are broken. Sure. We end that. We end the the stranglehold on healthcare that is driving up the cost and allowing craven corporate cronies to make tens of billions of dollars jacking up the price of pharmaceuticals and not allowing us to go to another country or somewhere else where we can buy that exact same drug, which is legal there and legal here and bring it back so that we can, uh, so that we can actually afford it and ending all of those harms that are causing the price of healthcare to skyrocket. Same thing with education, ending those things that are allowing education to skyrocket, removing the barriers and the burdens that the state and its dependence have put on mm-hmm. everyone to prevent us from being able to disrupt and move ahead and challenge their positions of authority and instead keep us down and small and dependent on them in order to be able to survive, ending all of that harm so that we can move ahead as a people. As I say many times, removing that boot from the neck of the people so that the human action of the market can move forward and we can solve the problems that they have created. Yeah, I, I like your passion, and you hit you hit on a lot of topics there that that are important to me. Uh, the war on drugs, uh, the wars overseas—that's the most important one to me. I work in healthcare. You hit on healthcare, so I want to get to all of them one by one. Yeah, yeah looking yeah. at looking at all that as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, one thing that has ruined all all those sectors is big government. What what people don't get: big government is controlled by big business. Exactly. This is, this is what I, I don't think that liberals get because I, you know, most of my friends are liberals. I'm in California. I probably would have identified as a liberal 10 years ago. And, and you want uh, government to get in there and change things to make the world a better place for us to live in. But it doesn't do that because it it's works. controlled by the plutocrats. So yep. anytime you give more power to the government, you're just giving more power to the plutocrats. Yep. How, how can we, um, 
how can we get people to understand that 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 government cannot fix the problems they just make it worse and worse and worse for middle class america and poor americans so many libertarians believe that we need to come up with the perfect argument we have to figure out the perfect way to message our beliefs in such a way that they will see it and immediately go oh, that makes sense that makes sense now can you get some people that way yes is that how you're going to get most people absolutely not People process information with a combination of intuition, emotion, and intellect. You cannot just hit them from the intellectual standpoint without servicing the intuition and the emotion. Uh, I started a website design company uh, three years ago, or uh, back in the 90s uh, when I was a teenager, and I sold it three years ago so I could focus full-time on, uh, on, on libertarian messaging. And what I learned from the, from the communications and leadership skills that I learned in owning and operating that business, starting it, growing it into a successful company that I was able to retire on, and now using applying that to libertarian messaging, is that anytime you want to convince anyone of anything, you have to meet them where they are. You have to meet them in their spaces and from their precepts. Scott Horton likes to say that the libertarians are better than the left on the things that the left cares about. Absolutely. And we're better than the right on the things the right cares about. And for mm -hmm. that matter, we're better than the moderates and the centrists on the things they care about. We actually are better than them on these things. We agree with them on these things, on, the, on, on their concerns. We're just better than them on it because our philosophy and our, our ethos and our praxis is consistent. It isn't right. designed around cronyism. It's actually a philosophic, so philosophically consistent thing. So why bother arguing with them? Let's just agree with them. When I talk to people on the left about healthcare, I say, this system is terrible. It costs a fortune. It costs three times as much as any as the, the, nat, the average for developed countries. And our access is not three times better. In some cases, it's worse. Some mm -hmm. cases, our outcomes are worse. I hear stories of people whose lives are ruined financially for the rest of their life because they had one emergency room visit. I, hear, I have MS and I hear stories of people that have chronic illness that are not in the same financial position as me. It's ruined them financially, not because they can't work, but because they can't afford the health costs. Mm -hmm cronies have moved in and made countless trillions of dollars at our expense on a system that is designed only for their profit and not for our benefit. I right. just agreed with the left 100%. And when right. they hear it, they go, but, yeah. But the left is going to say we need universal health care to take care of absolutely everyone. Going and that's there. not the answer. That's of course it's not the answer, but they're going to they're gonna see that we agree with them. And then, and this has worked, I've brought countless Bernie bros into libertarianism just in the past six months on this campaign, countless Tulsi supporters and Yang supporters, where we agreed on a few things. And then I brought them in on the message. And here's what I say. The people who created this system are the ones who would be in charge of you getting care. But first you have to show that you care about them and that you agree with them and that you can be trusted and that you're an empathetic character. Then that lands. If you immediately walk up to someone who's bemoaning the system of healthcare and you go, yeah, but if you put the government in charge, they're the ones who created this. They think you're starting an argument with them. They don't right. want to listen to you. They're already wary of you because they heard something about libertarians and we just want taxes to be lower so we can have more money and we don't care about the poor. And that makes all their spidey senses go off. And we go, well, yeah, but if the government's in charge, but... They're already hearing we want less yep. government involved. Yep. Kind of, kind of conversation 101. Uh, uh, find common ground, agree with them, point their points back to them, and then show them the way. And work back from there. And it, th yep. there's no guarantee you're going to, you know, we're not the Borg. We're not going to get 100%, you know, conversion <laughs> yeah. rates. But 
other people are watching. Sure. And even for that person, you've planted a seed so that at the very least, they know that you that you, they can trust where you're coming from, even if they disagree with you. That is powerful. Because right. what I'm watching right now is all the people that I tried to, I guess, spike pill into libertarianism, and I was able to get them to at least recognize that we were on the same page, even if they disagreed with me on healthcare and education. Now that they're watching me talk about police brutality, now that they're watching me talk about ending the war on drugs, they're going, I support you because mm-hmm. you get it. And I already know you get it. And even if we disagree on these things, we agree on these things that are more important right now. And I recognize that you're the way forward on this. And that conversation only lends itself to them being more and more agreeable to what we have to say, especially as they watch everyone else just either pander to them or outright ignore them. And so it works. It, we have to meet people where they are. We have to agree with their precepts, and then we have to influence them. This is basic sales and marketing stuff. Anyone who's done cold calling, anyone who's done any kind of qualified lead uh, development, anyone who's done any kind of fundraising or anything else, you find what they're, we call them pain points. I hate that term, but you find their, their things they care about. You demonstrate that you heard what they had to say while simultaneously identifying what their concerns are, and then you can present your options. And it yep. works. It yep. works. It does. Yeah. Uh, and same with conservatives, right? They care. They care. Absolutely. What do they care same about? Exactly. They care about not, not having a big government, not spending a lot of money. Yep. There hasn't been a conservative administration in my lifetime who has not doubled, tripled the, the debt. So the last one who we could even call conservative from that standpoint was, um, and now his name is by, uh, Coolidge. Coolidge was the last one that <laughs> my we lifetime. could call that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Silent Cal is the last one that we could say did that. And yeah. yet he also prosecuted the, uh, the, uh, their drug war, the prohibition war, like an absolute fiend. He was a huge alcohol warrior. Now, did he overall reduce the cost of government? Absolutely. But he also wanted to put everyone in a cage who even sniffed alcohol. So even he wasn't by our standards. He might, I guess we could call him a conservative. He certainly wasn't libertarian. But uh, not in any most of our lifetimes have we had anything resembling a true conservative president. We've had a no. bunch of people pandering, promising the thing. We had Donald Trump saying, "I'm going to end the deficit." And now he's he's run up more debt than any other president in American sure history yeah. in one term. Yeah. Yep. He has spent almost as much money as Obama did in two terms in one term. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to drain the swamp. He is the king of the swamp monsters. Well, $5 trillion in the last four months and, and bailouts to bankers, essentially. And many more to come. Yep. Um, yeah, so you, you brought up the drug war. Um, isn't th- this, this is my opinion. Okay. The single best way to help black America would be to end the drug wars tomorrow. Are you on board for ending the drug wars? What's your position on that stuff? I agree that we need to end the drug wars immediately and free its victims. I will say, and this, I agreed with you. I thought that the biggest problem facing black America was the war on drugs. After going through housing projects and knocking on doors, and I know not all black people live in housing projects. I'm not saying that, but I've, I've gone into all sorts of different communities even including housing projects and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And in talking overwhelmingly to black people, I think something that gives uh, the war on drugs a run for its money is occupational licensing. That is a huge one because occupational, we forget, occupational licenses were first introduced in the United States to stop slaves, freed slaves from being able to do, be entrepreneurs. And it has still to this day been disproportionately used against those with the least. Typically, those who are poor and those who live in urban communities who disproportionately affects uh, people of color. 
the, but the, but going back to the drug war, we will absolutely end the drug war. We will absolutely free the people both from the from the cages and from the re- the marks on their records so that they can thrive. We will focus on. We will incur. We will end the because what that also ends is the prohibitions on mutual aid to help people that are addicts. Did you know right now if you had a friend who was an addict and you tried to like help them, you could actually be tried as a co-conspirator or an, or an accomplice if you don't turn them in. Really? No. You can't help them. Now, it happens all the time, but if you if you decided and if you said, "You know what? I had such That's a great asinine. experience. If I had such a great experience helping my, my friend, I want to get together with other people and we're going to help, you know, people get off of off of heroin and off of crack and we're going to, you know, fee- deal with all of their issues and help them and help them get clean and be there for them and and you know, bring in professionals and everything to to help them with their their the the psychological needs that are often the, the underlying cause and chronic health needs and everything that are the underlying cause for addiction typically. If you don't spend the tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in local, state, and federal compliance costs, you are breaking multiple laws and you are as likely to go to jail as someone selling drugs. Do they actually prosecute people for that? Oh, yeah. Yep. They just call them accomplices. They call them accomplices because they're, you know, they knew that drug deals were going down and they didn't tell anyone. Yeah. I mean, so again, big government, right? So your occupational licenses, you're talking about all these regulations that get thrown in. I'm a small businessman. I have a small business. And my, my business, actually, we, we do most of our business in Compton. So I know these communities. Okay. Um, okay. These regulations that, that they put into effect don't hurt Target and Walmart. And, you know, it hurts the little guy. It hurts the small business. And it hurts just the regular old run-of-the-mill guy who wants to start a brand new business. That's who gets affected. And, and that's why the people writing those regulations are the lobbyists for Target and Walmart. Exactly. Because it pushes out the competition. These big biz- businesses have figured out that in a centrally planned economy, which is what we have, mm-hmm. in a centrally planned economy, they don't have to continually disrupt the market and make new innovations to preserve their place of market share. No. They can just create laws and keep everyone else out. Yep. So yep. The, the next Microsoft, the next Amazon that could be in someone's basement isn't going to happen no. or it's far less likely to happen because of an increasingly high and burdensome regulatory burdens that are placed on them, taxes, licensing fees, educational requirements, and everything else. Yep. They do this specifically, even though they know that there's a little bit of cost that they have to pay and it, it slightly harms them, they have far more benefit from the fact that they don't have any competition. And if at mm. some point the burden comes so high that they can't do business here, that's fine. They just moved to China or Vietnam sure. or Mexico. They moved the jobs because they can afford to completely, you know, retrofit everything over to some other, to, to completely change their base of operations to another country. And to, they can afford to develop positive relationships with dictatorial govern, governments who will allow them to use slave level sweatshop labor to provide us with our goods and services. So here's the economic and social and financial harm that we were just talking about with people not being able to get ahead in life, which means more people are having to live either on assist or just you know living a threadbare existence and being a wage slave for one of these large crony corporations or uh, and then we also have the social 
uh, aspect of that, the people who feel like they can't thrive and go ahead, it leads to higher levels of despair, higher suicide rates, higher levels of uh, um, domestic violence, higher levels of single parent homes, all of these bad things happen as a result of people just having too much on their plate, not being able to get ahead in life because there's actually something actively pushing them down and making them unable to get ahead. But let's talk about the environmental cost of the fact that now that there are fewer things being made here and instead they're being made on the other side of the planet and then shipped here in boats in, a, in an arrangement that would have never been as affordable as simply doing it here, but it was artificially made unaffordable and able to prevent us from being able to move ahead in the market. And so now it's being shipped over here and, and exponentially growing the carbon footprint of every single one of those things Mm -hmm. that's being made. And now let's talk about the political cost of propping up dictatorial authoritarian regimes that put our own to shame because of crony corporations who have created their same craven uh, 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 systems of patronage in those governments as they've done here with our domestic government. Mm -hmm. All of that comes from these regulatory burdens. So increasingly, and when I talk to, to, you know, I'm talking to Black Lives Matters protesters, people of all different walks of life, people in liberal arts colleges, when you present it that way, now deregulation sounds good, but you have to present it that way. If you just say, well, I'm in favor of deregulation so that businesses can do better. It sounds like I'm saying, I want government to stop protecting us so that people can get richer. That's what it sounds like. Present it the way that we actually mean it first. Now they're behind deregulation too. Yeah. Yeah. You said it perfectly. Yeah. I mean, all these regulations, they're good for big business. They're, they're bad for workers because the jobs end up overseas. Yep. They're bad for the environment, like you just said, because we're shipping stuff all over the world. And it's bad for our foreign policy because now we're in bed with the government in China. Right. And And it's bad for entrepreneurs because they can't get ahead as well. It's bad for everyone except for politicians and cronies and and including politicians of dictatorial governments overseas. It's it's only good for the absolute worst people among us. And then if some entrepreneurs do start to rise up, well, hey, there might be a lockdown. And guess what? Now only Walmart and Target and Amazon are allowed to sell things. I mean, don't go outside. Don't go to your families. Don't go, don't go visit your families. Don't go to churches. Don't go to parks. Don't go to beaches. Do not go to the furniture store. Do not go to any small businesses where there might be four or five of you in the building. That's dangerous. Go to Walmart. Right. Yeah, go and, to Costco. And the majority go to Target. The, the majority of the country didn't raise an eyebrow about that at all. They just went along with that and like, oh yeah, these people, are, they're trying to protect us. That, they that were just scared. blew my mind. They were scared. They were scared of a, of a, understandably so, of a pandemic. And they weren't told that the reason that the pandemic reached the level that it is here is because the CDC stopped medical professionals from testing and treating COVID patients for the first six to eight weeks that it was here. People didn't realize that when that it was actually illegal to test for COVID-19. That, that's the first time I'm hearing about that. Tell, without talk going a through it. about that. Oh, let's talk about this. So when, when back in January, when the first patients started going into doctor's offices here and saying, doc, I'm not feeling too hot. I just got back from uh, Hubei province or Wuhan, China. And uh, I'm hearing about this coronavirus thing on TV. And I think I'm worried I might have it. That was illegal for them to test because the CDC has an absolutely ridiculous regulation, which is still in place, that says that if you want to test for a new virus, a novel virus, you have to go through a Byzantine months-long approval process before you can test your first patient, and there is no good reason for it. These tests are apparently very easy to make. If you know how to do such a thing, they can be done at any mid-level medical university or any high-level hospital. Anyone can make the tests were not approved. 
That's what you're saying. They weren't allowed to test. They weren't allowed to make the test and use them, even though they were easy to do. It was all about licensing. And so thankfully you had doctor, and this is not black helicopter stuff. Go, go to uh, Google Dr. Helen Chu COVID-19. It's all right there. This is publicly, this is public knowledge. And I'm about to tell you why it's public knowledge because of civil disobedience and illegalism. So Dr. Helen Chu and a handful of other doctors across the country, when their patients came in, they went, screw this law. It's stupid. My Hippocratic oath goes above some stupid CDC regulation that shouldn't be in place. So they created the test kits. They tested the patients. Some of those test results came back positive and they went immediately to the CDC and said, hey, listen, it's already here. Do you know what the CDC's initial response to being told that the greatest pandemic of our time was already on our shores? They said, destroy the test results, tell absolutely no one, including those patients, send them home, tell them nothing. That went on for the first nearly two months. Where can people uh, read about that? If you Google Dr. Helen Chu, CHU and COVID-19 and testing, all of this is readily available. There was a New York Times article, an LA Times article, a Guardian article. This is all, and of course, the way they try to phrase it is uh, uh, some government impediments made it difficult to be mm, able, government didn't act quickly enough. Read the article. It wasn't that they didn't act quickly enough. It was that they had a boot on the neck of the healthcare providers to be able to even test for it in the first place. Thank God Dr. Helen Chu and others put their Hippocratic Oath again above the regulation, and in an incredible act of disobedience, released the data to the public, which forced the CDC's hand. And now you still have to get approval, but you get an, a provisional approval while you wait for the approval process to go through, which is how they can now, no one has approval yet. They all have provisional approval. And sometime, however many months from now, they'll actually get approval. What an absurd, centrally planned, crony friendly, God knows what idiot signed off on that regulation however many decades ago. Doesn't matter. It's in place. And because most people follow the law, that's, we have way more suffering than we ever would have had. And that same government that created disgusting. that situation, that same government, exa- it's totally disgusting. And that same government that created that situation then turned around and said, we're keeping you safe. Stay in your house. Only go outside to go into large buildings with hundreds of other people because you know we're definitely not going to tell you not to go to Costco or Walmart. Uh, or or Target, and we're mm-hmm. certainly you know go stay home, watch Netflix, stay home, buy stuff on Amazon. Don't you dare go to a furniture store. Don't you dare get your hair cut. And if you do, we you will be arrest you. We will arrest you, and we will put you in a cage where you are almost certain to get COVID nineteen. And the threat there is explicit. If you don't listen to us, we will infect you. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we'll also run up trillions of dollars that we will use to bail out the airlines and the hotels and the banks and all of the other big business cronies who line up to the trough of, of endless Federal Reserve notes and we'll give you 1200 bucks and tell you to stay home forever until, other, until you get further notice. And then we'll have the nerve to say to you that if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have that 1200 bucks. Uh, that is big government. That is man, government you're getting me mad. You're getting me mad. I'm I mean, sorry. It's, and it's not even necessarily that their their intentions are devious. It's just in, it's incompetence. It's them thinking they know better with these stupid regulations. And why is that story? What you just told me, I read right, and I listen. I listen, and I'm I'm a libertarian. I've not heard that about the testing before. Why is that not on CNN? Why is that not even on Fox News? Why, it's nowhere. It, it was mentioned, but the way they phrased it was, you know, government didn't act quickly enough to stop COVID-19. Yes, that's all, that's all you heard. Government did not act quickly enough, but government they, prevented people from acting. If they had done it, it as, 
And here, keep in mind, most of the media hates Trump. Do you know how easy it would have been for them to say Trump CDC stops doctors from testing for COVID during the most crucial time to try to contain it? Do you know why they can't do that? Because the Democrats are every bit enmeshed in that system. There is mm-hmm. no way to blame Trump for that without also blaming Obama and Clinton and, 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 and Biden and everyone else that's been a part of that disgusting system. And more importantly than all of that, they'd have to acknowledge that the CDC isn't here to protect us. It's here to make it harder for actual medical professionals. Yeah, well, they're not interested in actually telling you what Trump has done bad versus some of the things he's done that are good. They're only interested in making sure they can get rid of him. So they, <laughs> every, the entire narrative gets perverted according to that. It's, it's really disgusting. So I want to switch off of coronavirus a little bit, although that, okay. that was super enlightening. And, and I'm going to do some reading after this because that, that just blew my mind. That's upsetting. Horrifying. Um, Let's get back into the Black Lives Matter a little bit because that's the hot topic right now. Absolutely. And what I want to ask you is the, the narrative that is now being put out there is that America is almost hopelessly racist. That's not my opinion of America. Okay. How do you feel about that? And what, what do you think is the actual problem and what can be done? So here is the, I love having this conversation because I think that there are two groups that are often talking past each other. And then there are some people within those two groups who are actively giving a malignant version of the message. Here is the message of institutional racism. The one that isn't just all Americans, all Americans are racist and all white people benefit at the expense of black people, which is, is not true. Institutional racism was a system that was set up during the slavery era where an increasing number of our ancestors, poor whites, were looking around and going, this system sucks. I can't get a job because these wealthy people just own people outright like cattle. And so they're, you know, they're abusing these people and treating them horribly. And I can't get any work because I'm not willing to be treated like cattle and have my children sold off and whatever else. And it's, and and they legally can't do it to me or else they probably would be doing it to me too. Mm -hmm. And this is a terrible system. We need to do something about this. And so they created a doctrine called basically called white supremacy. And it's funny because now when we hear white supremacy, we, we align it with, uh, you know, with the worst people, we align it with the Klan and the neo-Nazis and whatever. Back then, white supremacy was actually presented as science. They used eugenics. They, they measured people's heads and used all these absurd right. things. Mm-hmm. And they put forward the idea and they used a lot of really strong, uh, twisted context in the Bible to try to make it sound like, well, the Bible's saying that we're inherently superior and they're inherently wrong, which is why if you look at the iconography back then, the angels are white, the devils are black. They built this entire system around the idea that white was superior and black was inferior. And that, that ju- and it was only done for no other reason than to justify a system where a very small handful of people totally different from what we have now, but a, a, a very small handful of people got to own outright an entire race of people and subjugate everyone else in their in their own race at just for their benefit and make those poor white people feel like, well, at least yeah. I'm, I'm superior to black people. Fast again, plutocracy. Yeah, I, again, yeah, total hypocrisy. Yeah. Institutional no, plutocracy. Racism. It's again, it's the, the wealthiest of the wealthy who, who are controlling this and doing this. It always is. It yeah. is always an oligarchy that is enforcing things on us. Key point here, the vast, 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 vast majority of whites were harmed by institutional racism to the point where when, it, when, when, the, when the, the Civil War was going on to try to end it, they sent poor white people to die to preserve the right of a handful of people to own people outright. 
So, in, so when we talk about institutional racism, we are not saying, and unfortunately there are some who say it and they need to read up on how institutional racism actually works. Institutional racism is a system in which the vast majority of everyone, including white people, do not benefit. They are actually harmed by it. They may be harmed disproportionately less than people of color and other marginalized communities. We are all being harmed. We are at the very least being inconvenienced and at the worst having, you know, a uh, 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 knees put on our necks until we suffocate. Duncan Lemp was a mm-hmm. victim of yeah. institutional racism. Nobody even knows a, about that one. Yeah, Duncan Lemp. So, so here's what I want to say. So I believe that institutional racism exists. That's completely different from saying the American people are racist or America is inherently racist. What I believe is that we have a throwaway, a throwback system that was used to allow plutocrats and oligarchs to control all of us built on a very flimsy protocol of saying, well, if you're this skin color, then you're better than others. And they're a lot more subtle with it now because now they don't say, well, you're superior to others. They just by the reality of the fact that black people were robbed of the product of their labor for 400 years, they are inherently in a worse financial position overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. because they had everything stolen from them up until about a hundred years ago, 150 years ago. And then even after that you had, you know, whenever they would try to build something like uh, black wall street in Tulsa or the the Harlem Renaissance, here came the, the, the racist in, in, in government to destroy everything and even firebomb it in some cases. And so now you have a system where we largely have lived in legal equality, legal equality for about 50 or 60 years, but because of the very nature of policing, it is disproportionately used against those with the least. And because of the previous nature of how uh, government treated people of color, that disproportionately harms people of color. That is what institutional racism is. That's the best definition of systemic racism I've heard. Maybe it needs a new name. But so (laughs) to, to summarize, you're saying systemic racism is the plutocrats, as they're always in control, yes. use the flimsy idea of whites are superior to blacks for their own gain, not for the benefit of all white people, That's only correct. for the benefit for of only the their benefit and to the, the detriment of to the detriment society. of the vast majority of white so of systemic white people. racism exists and it's bad for everyone except the plutocrats. Exactly. And these isn't it true now that these same plutocrats who created this systemic racism aren't they now? Also, putting that message of systemic racism out there in a different way to paint this racial divide in America to to keep us at each other's throats. They're doing two things. They're pandering to the prevailing narrative, right? So increasingly, Black Lives Matter is becoming a mainstream thing. An increasing number of people are realizing that Black Lives Matter does not mean that all lives don't matter. It means all lives should matter. I went to a Black Lives Matter protest up the road. They said all lives matter like five or six times, but they would say, we want all lives to matter. We want to say that all lives matter and mean it, not just have it as a throwaway thing in response to someone saying Black Lives Matter. So Mm -hmm. that is Black Lives Matter doesn't mean white lives, screw white lives, or only Black Lives Matter. But because this is now becoming mainstream, now the corporations are going, Hello, fellow people of color. It is I, corporation. It's Black Lives Matter time. And so we're going to black out our our logo for a few days and we're going to pander to you and we're going to continue feeding the system that enslaves you and everyone you care about.
Mm-hmm. That is what they're doing. Are they trying to feed a racial divide? They are trying to feed a racial divide. They are trying to feed an ethnic divide. They are trying to feed a political divide. They are trying to feed class warfare, not between the very, very wealthy and everyone else, but between the different stratifications within that lower system. They want mm-hmm. the upper, they want the middle class to hate the lower middle class, to hate the lower class, to hate the absolutely poor. They want us to resent each other. So here's and the it's thing. Working. It's working. Li- it's working amazingly. We as libertarians believe that we should end the welfare state, not to harm the poor people who rely on it, but to remove the barriers and impediments that make them rely on it in the first place so that they don't even need it and it can just go away. But then what they want to tell us is they want us to hate, you know, they want us to think that the biggest problem in this country right now is lazy bums who want to live in substandard housing on my dime. While those same people who push that narrative get trillion dollar bailouts, the very Mm -hmm. second their bottom line is even remotely threatened. Yeah. That's the welfare bum I'm concerned about. Right. I mean, the, the only the socialism we have in this country is that when a big corporation gets in trouble, their losses are socialized amongst all of us. I mean, we just saw it twice in the past three months. So dividing us back to that. Yeah. So you, you do agree that they are using a narrative to divide us. So how do they benefit from that? Explain to the people well, they how they benefit. Divide and conquer. Here's a, okay, here's a perfect example of how they benefit from it. This is a, an, an analogy I like to use. Um, so let's say you and I are in a, in a restaurant. We're getting something to eat. And someone walks in out of nowhere and uh, punches me in the face really like bad, like clocks me in the face uh, with like brass knuckles. I get a concussion. I'm out. And he turns around and he shoots you a bunch of times in the chest, okay? And so I end up in the hospital for the better part of a day or two. I have a concussion. They're, they're, they're you know, watching me. I got pain pills. I have some ongoing pain and, and some you know, weird psychological or, or neurological stuff that I'm dealing with as a result of it. I'm, I've been harmed. You spend months in ICU. You almost die multiple times. Your heart stops multiple times. They barely are able to save you. And you are now dealing with all sorts of long-term health result, health uh, uh, detriments as a result of that. You, you have heart problems, you have organ problems, you have all sorts of issues that are going to plague you for the rest of your life. But thank God you survived, okay? And so now, however many months later, we get together and we decide to have lunch somewhere else because <laughs> we're never going to go back there. But we go and have lunch together and we get together. We're commiserating over how terrible that was. And, uh, and you go, man, Spike, this was terrible what we went through. Um, I mean, I definitely got the worse of it than, than you did, but man, we both got it bad. And I go, whoa, 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 wait a second. I mean, you got it bad too, but I got it pretty bad. I got a concussion. I was in the hospital. And you say, well, wait, wait a second. I was in ICU for months. You were already out of the hospital and I was still in ICU. I, my heart stopped multiple times. I barely made it out. I have, I have massive amounts of medical bills. Uh, you know, this was terrible. In fact, if anything you kind of benefited from the fact that I got shot, not you. And I'm like, what do you mean benefited? I got punched too. And maybe if you'd been respectful to the guy, you wouldn't have gotten shot. That is our conversation right now. That is the racial and cultural conversation that is happening between the, for lack of a better word, the Black Lives Matter people and the All Lives Matter people. We're all being harmed and we're arguing over who got harmed worse. Yep, yep. yep. It's a competition for victimhood. If instead... We stepped back and went, hey, let's go find that guy that did that to us and stop him so yes. we can never do it again. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, part of it is there, there's a metric shit ton of poor white people in rural communities. And then you have rich, liberal, elite white people pointing at them saying, acknowledge your white privilege. 
And any any poor white person is going to look at himself. They're going to be resentful. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 it's not, and the, it's not a good way to go about that whole. It's not it even remote. It's not, nor do they want it to. They want those poor white people to be yes. resentful so they can grandstand on them and say, look at these terrible racists. Yes. Now, I will say this about white privilege. And, the, white and, those, privilege, and those poor white people are not the ones repressing black America. They have, no people, power. they have no power. Those poor, they, those poor white people are a threadbare away from what the, the most marginalized among us are dealing with. Yes. Uh, and, and so I, here's what I will say about the phrase white privilege, which is another one that has been become malignant and overused. White privilege simply means that our skin color is not something that that is part of the reason why we're in a bad situation. It doesn't mean right. we're not going to suffer anything else. It just right. means disproportionately we're less sure. likely to suffer harm as a result. That. I don't like the term privilege because again, it feeds into the whole exactly. idea that we're benefiting from not being harmed as much. Yes. I mean, is it good that we aren't harmed as much? Sure, but we're still being harmed. So maybe white protection or something. Anyway, whatever, whatever it is, but you're right. You have wealthy, well-heeled people pointing at, you know, white trash and saying, mm-hmm. or even just the, you know, the, 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 the you know, mid-level, middle-income white Americans are going, you benefit from white privilege. Why don't you check your privilege? And they're going, buddy, my life is tough. You're a freaking limousine liberal. What is your problem? And 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 again, and it feeds that divide. It feeds that further stratification of the people that if they simply stood together and said, let's rise up against these people who are completely dividing us, the whole thing would be over. Right. So it would be. I, There's way so more of us. What, so I don't shy away from saying systemic racism. I just reset what it actually is back to what it actually means. Well, systemic racism is like you said, it's oligarchs controlling all of us. Well, I didn't say it. You said it. And the way you put it, I think almost everybody can can wrap their head around that and accept yep. that. That that is the least divisive take on both <laughs> of those things that I've heard. Right. And they're both they're both true. So you're good at messaging. I'm glad you're on our team. Thank you. Um let let's talk about the police because we're, you know, that's that's where this Black Lives Matter movement is going. Mm-hmm. Um we hear defund the police. We also hear abolish the police. Part of me hears that and is a little scared. Part of me hears that and I'm like, well, that's kind of that's kind of skipping many steps to get us to an ultimate libertarian world. <laughs> it's no, like libertarian paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's no police, I'm not paying my fucking taxes. Uh, who's yeah, yeah. Gonna, coming to arrest me? You know what I mean? Who's like, going to enforce all it, those laws? Yeah. It takes all the teeth out of government. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I feel a couple ways on it, but I don't really feel that when they're saying abolish the police that they really mean abolish the police. I just think they're going to rebrand it and it's going to be some other ugly thing right. with different faces. There's how do you feel about the cops and the, that whole discussion? So I want to address what you just said. There are two groups within the left. You've got your, I guess, more progressive, milk toasty, moderate left saying defund the police, which means only have police have few have less funding for police, but only have them show up for things that armed people are needed, and instead have like social workers and stuff show up for the vast majority of nine one one calls, which are basically mental health crises. Which I'm actually not against. I mean, I, I think we often are sending hammers for things that are not nails, and. Um, but then you got your far left. And so it's very interesting. And I've learned this because I have far left people in my campaign team uh, as volunteers. These are far, far left anarchists who they mean abolish the police. Mm-hmm. They mean end the laws and create a voluntary society with no hierarchy. And so that's it's actually feeding into their idea of, of abolishing the police. My feeling about the police is this. If a government is to exist, it should exist only to protect and affirm the rights and lives and property of the people. And as that relates to its enforcement arm, the police, that's all they should be doing. 
And we see a massive and growing, you're talking about division and rifts. What about the rift between the police and the public that it serves? There is this huge rift. Why? So when, when people will say, you know, we need to reform the police and there's supporters will show up and say, well, you know, next time someone, you know, tries to rape or murder you, call a crackhead. Look at the mm-hmm. example they used, rape and murder or, you know, robbery or whatever. They never say if you need someone to show up and issue you a citation for a broken taillight right. and then ask yeah. you if your license is, is current and yeah, then end up destroying your finance. They never say if you need someone to, to you know plant some cocaine on you because they didn't like your attitude. Now they're ruining your life. They don't say any of that. Right. They don't say if you want someone to to throw you in a cage for for you know ingesting a plant uh, for your for your uh, tremors or your or your your uh, you know rheumatoid arthritis or whatever. They don't say that. They no. go to the things that we all pretty much agree that whether it's a private or public system, we would want police for. We would want someone to try to stop or or or, or punish people after the fact for raping and murdering and kidnapping and killing and assaulting and, th- and, and robbing and all of that stuff. That's what we want. So my idea is this. Here's what we do at the federal level. Here's what the Jorgensen administration does at the federal level. We end the war on drugs. That is the biggest rift between the police and the public. It is destroying families and communities. It is making the police into a group of people that people fear and resent when they see. We end that immediately. We end civil asset forfeiture, which is a federally managed program where states are and federal government rob people before they ever even go to trial and Mm -hmm. use it to finance their own prosecution and rob them of the ability to to pay for their own defense. And if by some miracle they're found not guilty or the charges are dropped, they now have to pay to sue the government to get their own money back that was stolen from them, even though they were found not guilty. Mm-hmm. We end that immediately. We end the 1033 military surplus program that is basically dumping the military industrial complexes surplus stuff on the on the increasingly militarized police state. And not and here's the thing: not only are they giving them all that equipment, they give them the training for it. Military contractors show up to our neighborhoods and teach our police how to use mine resistant. Uh, personnel carriers and grenade launchers and breaching equipment and and you know high level you know sniper rifles and all this stuff that these are our neighborhoods what are you using this for and it teaches them a military mindset because that's what they're being trained on we end no knock raids which are why brianna taylor was murdered and god knows how many other people were murdered if someone breaks into your house without telling you who they are and they're in plain clothes, you have every right to shoot on them. How the hell would you know that's a cop? No-knock raids need to end. Uh, The mandatory minimum sentencing needs to end. I've talked to judges who have said that they would love to be able to come up with programs to steer youth away from crime, but they can't. They have to give them 10 years because it says right there on that piece of paper that they have to do it, and they lose their job if they didn't do it. Uh, We end... I think I nailed all the things there. Yeah. Uh, oh, qualified immunity. Imagine being able to walk into court and say, Your Honor, I know I've been charged with murder. Well, I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And they dropped the charges. That's qualified immunity. That has to end. And I support Libertarian Congressman Justin Amash in his push to end qualified immunity in, 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 the, in a tripartisan bill. I love saying tripartisan. It has Republican and Democrat reporters, uh, supporters uh, in Congress, and I would love to see that passed. Ending qualified immunity is probably the single biggest thing to put a blow to police brutality 
because prior to the 1960s and 50s, uh, when the government had to come up with a way to justify allowing police to brutalize civil rights protesters, you could sue the police and you could sue government officials like CPS, who medically uh, medical kidnapping of children across straight line, state lines, that's qualified immunity. All that stuff happens because they know they can't be sued even if they're found to be in the wrong. And the good, the good cops and the good CPS agents and the good politicians, they don't want to get in trouble by, by, uh, you know, by stopping these people because they can get sued for, for doing that. But imagine if they could get sued for not stopping them. And imagine if the police departments didn't have to do the cost-benefit analysis of saying, yeah, Derek Chauvin, who's going to go on to murder George Floyd, he had 17 complaints against him, but it's not costing us anything because of qualified immunity. And he sucks as an officer and everyone hates him. But if we fire him, we're going to have to fight the police unions. and That's going to cost a fortune. Mm -hmm. So as a cost-benefit analysis, they keep bad, abusive, murderous cops on the force, which incentivizes bad policing and uh, punishes good policing and creates that massive rift between the police. We want a situation in which people see the police and feel safe because we've stopped the bad actors and we've removed the bad centrally planned decisions that led to that stuff happening in the first place. Excellent. Great points on everything. I know I know you got another thing coming up. You got to get oh, out. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. It's been enlightening. Uh, our viewers, our listeners are going to love this. Um, how, can they, how can people get involved in the campaign? Also, tell them about your, your podcast and how can we help? Oh, sure. So my podcast is uh, Muddy Waters Media. If you go to muddywatersmedia.com, it's, it's all, all on there. Um, for the campaign, our website is joj2020.com. That's joj2020.com. My personal social media or my campaign social media uh, on Twitter is at Real Spike Cohen. And on Facebook, uh, it's facebook.com slash literally Spike Cohen. Or if you just search in the Facebook search bar for Spike Cohen, you'll find it. Uh, but yeah, JOJ2020. And if you look for Joe Jorgensen on any social media, you'll find her. But uh, yeah, JOJ2020.com. Uh, we have a volunteer forum. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you join us. Uh, and if you're able to contribute, we would greatly appreciate your donations. There's a big donate button there right at the top. And we'd, we'd appreciate that. And I just appreciate you and your your viewers and listeners for giving me a chance to talk about Joe and my vision for setting this country free. Absolutely. I had, I had Joe on a, a few weeks ago. She was amazing too. People She's fantastic. Get involved, uh, donate. I mean, I don't know how anyone can, can hear those messages and not, <laughs> not feel that libertarianism is, is for them. It just, everything about it makes sense. So let's get on board. Thank you for your time and Thank uh, you. talk again soon. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right. Okay, guys, that was that was amazing. I'm I'm all in on Jorgensen and Cohen, and I hope you are too. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, this podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, CBDMD.com. Um, it's a fantastic product. I, I will not do ads for products that I don't use and that I don't like. Like I've told you guys before, I'm not, not doing this podcast or this Facebook page to make money. I do it because I enjoy it. But you know, if someone's going to throw money at me, um, I'll take it. If it's something I believe in and something that I use, and I do use this product, it's fantastic on inflammation. As you all know, I've had my spine fused. I've had my shoulder worked on twice, um, two, two surgeries on my shoulder. I've had my left wrist fused, which makes masturbation incredibly hard and painful. So almost not worth it, but, but still worth it. Um, and CBD gets me through all my pains. Um, it's why I'm still able to be 47 and still be this fine, sexy freak that you, that you guys see and know and love. 
Um, it's from exercise, diet, and CBD oil. So check it out. Use the code that Dad presents. You get fifteen percent off, and you put a little more change in my pocket than what they're paying me to do this ad. All right, guys. Much love. <laughs> 